0: Welcome, welcome. Another episode of, well, the newly named um, USF Data Science Podcast. So I'm Robert Clements. I'm here co-hosting with Cody Carroll. Hey, Cody. Hey. And uh, welcoming today, um, Matt Wheeler. So Matt is a an alum. So he uh, recently graduated in June from the Master's in Data Science program. Currently a data engineer at uh, PG&E. So welcome, Matt. Thanks for coming.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is your I just asked you this. This is your first time back in the building, right, since you graduated. So
1: It, it is. It's been 3 months now since I was last here. So, a so. little strange. Good yeah. to be back.
0: I was going to say any PTSD from uh, <laughs> Yeah, hopefully less <laughs> stressful
1: this time. <laughs> yeah, unpacking it, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure.
0: So, um, eventually our listeners will realize you're not from California. You're not a native Californian. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about where you're from and then what actually brought you to the SF Bay area?
1: Yeah, of course. So, yeah, I hope I haven't lost my accent. So, <laughs> if you can tell, I'm from originally from the UK, um, grew up in Wales. Uh, background is actually in physics. So, I did my undergraduate and master's degree in physics in University of Manchester. Um, got exposure to data science as a field during my master's project. Um, then decided that I wanted to become a data scientist and was able to move to London, uh, joined a consultancy firm for three years, sort of building up a skill set. And then, yeah, for a number of reasons, decided I wanted to sort of pursue, and I, you know, we can get into it exactly why, but decided to pursue uh, a master's in data science and ultimately chose to come to SF.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the the where I'm going to wanted to go with this is uh, why like why did you choose SF versus you know there's so many other programs you could have picked
1: yeah of course I think that question is like comes in two folds I guess why like pursuing a master's degree would be useful considering that I was already a data scientist in London and I think like it's quite a clear answer for me I think during the three years that I had coming from I guess a physics background which is quite you know linked to data science I think there is an inherent Um, expectation that if you are working within data science that you already have prior experience and so it can be kind of hard to sort of break into that space Um, and i definitely found that during my you know time in the consultancy and i kind of had to reprove myself and slowly like work my way up and start working through more intense projects so i think when i came to look about moving elsewhere to other jobs and potentially into a specific dedicated data science role it was quite clear that there was a lot of prerequisites around having a master's degree, and Mm that seems quite a common thing in the field. So from that perspective, um, that was kind of the main driving force of why I wanted to pursue a master's. And I felt like I had quite a strong skill base in the sort of data science realm, but I almost didn't know the gaps in my knowledge. Like, I think I I was very technically proficient in very specific areas that I had to learn for projects, but in terms of like a broad base, um, of skills that, you know, I ultimately learned at USF, like I almost wasn't even aware of what I didn't know. So I wanted to give myself that time to like, go back to school, uh, just kind of learn from the ground up and build that foundation was one of the main reasons. In terms of like, why the US? Um, you know, I think I'm pretty young. Uh, it'd be fun, I thought it would be fun to go live in another country, experience different places. And why USF in particular? I guess probably comes down to like the criteria that I had when I was looking for programs. And I think the things that stood out for USF that I really liked was, one, the time. So it's sort of like a very condensed, intense yeah. experience of it being you know a year as opposed to two, which is quite common elsewhere. Um, that was quite attractive. I think as well, the connections that USF has within like Silicon Valley and the tech ecosystem and environment, which is very strongly linked to data science and AI in general. Um, and as well, I think the structure of the course and the focus that they really had on tailoring content to be industry-specific and sort of constantly updating that to be approaching it more from, like, what do employers want in a skill set for someone who is graduating and, like, adapting to that. I thought that was great because kind of... You can have as much theory background as you want, but if you don't know how to use it and you're not practically learning how to use it, I think you can maybe fall into a bit of a, you know, gray gray area where, yeah, you're kind of missing some stuff, so...
0: Yeah, I think... um that is one of the things I like about this program also is that in a sort of traditional academic program, two years where you do like a thesis, um, I feel like a lot of universities have set up these master's programs, these you know, two years one by just, you know, taking, modifying, you know, some content that they already had in the stats and math department and the CS department and kind of cobbling those things together to create a new data science degree. Um, I don't think there's any, anything, you know, inherently wrong with that. Yeah. Um but I do think that that makes, you know, this program, you know, a little bit more special in that we do have those connections with industry and we are always trying to change the change the curriculum which we do pretty much every year.
2: Yeah, it's it's interesting from the prof- professor side too, like we're constantly yeah. updating learning, trying yes. to make sure that we're teaching you like relevant stuff and so Yeah, it's a keeps it interesting
1: is that a hard thing to like figure out what how to sort of what is becoming less relevant and what is more if it's you know you're approaching it from more of an academic side
2: yeah i think so i mean it's mostly talking to people who are in industry which is not us anymore so right um it relies on your network and also just like kind of getting a sense of like you know you have to be kind of paying attention still. You're not allowed to check out like you might, if you were, you know, a theoretician in like, <laughs> um, you know, a different type of university. So. Right.
0: Which I, you know, sometimes wish I could check out, you know, at some point, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> For sure. We've got the practicum, you know, that, that helps, mm-hmm. I think, see what's, you know, relevant. Totally. Obviously this year's set of practicums are a lot different than the ones that you had. Um, surprisingly, oh. but maybe not surprisingly, what do you think happened in the last, six months or so, that would make our practicums this year a little bit different than the ones that, that you had.
1: I imagine, are they very, like, ChatGPT-based? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just, maybe yeah. just a little I would little be bit. surprised, yeah. Yeah, so there's,
0: there's a large set of LLM uh, practicums this year, and last year was a lot of computer vision and NLP. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Yeah, so.
1: It was quite interesting to see, I think, because, you know, ChatGPT came out, I guess, in, what, March, like, during the middle of the course. Yeah. I think a lot of people actually did almost pivot in the work that they were doing on the practicums in like such a short, short span of time. Yeah. Right. Um, which was quite interesting to see.
2: Yeah. Especially cause like, right. You only had like three months left of practicum. So it's like, well, let's just see what we can do in that short amount of time. Definitely. No, it'll be interesting this year. Like I have, um, like last year I worked with the nature conservancy mm. and we did, um, like a dashboarding and like, um, you know, automated, um, of data pipeline yeah. type of thing with elena right yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. So elena and jessica and then um so this year it's it's totally switched to llms really? I'm like really? i'm really curious yeah, about how that's gonna go because it's not like uh you know i can kind of see the how the, like okay getting the satellite data and like monitoring it and like kind of uh, piping it in is like okay that makes sense like for monitoring and kind of conservation I'm like it's not super obvious to me yet how the llms are gonna be yeah. useful for the conservation in, but I'm like, well, this should be this should be a good one.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, probably some more of our returning companies mm-hmm. uh, are doing the same thing. Yeah. They're, yeah. Just, they're just starting these new projects to see if there is something right of value.
1: Totally exploratory, L. 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 L., I guess. Yeah, yeah, it kind of would be interesting to see how much of that comes to fruition of providing value. It does seem mm-hmm. like a lot of people, or like, it's definitely become a buzzword, right? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. People who aren't as technically, you know, proficient in the space, like, know a lot of I guess a lot of words about it, or a lot of mm-hmm. you know, buzzwords about it. So it'd be interesting to see what impact it actually has.
0: Um, yeah, I am very a curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> like, how long will it take companies to realize to either realize that value that's there, or to realize that there isn't value there for them? Um, because when you know data science started, you know, as sort of you know buzzword, maybe a t- little over ten years ago, and so of course every company got on board with that, started building out these teams, and didn't really know what to do with them. Um, so hopefully they've built that foundation. So now that they're getting into LLMs, they'll be able to realize more quickly if there's something actually there mm-hmm. and that they don't have to build up these like huge teams, uh, before they know that there's value. So we'll see, we'll see how long it takes. Let's talk about your practicum and yeah, then how that led or didn't lead into your current position. Cool.
1: Right. That sounds good. Um, yeah, so, um, I guess the practicum process started within USF, um, Pitch Week, listened to a lot of different pitches from a lot of companies, did not know who Pichini were, um, right. having not been from the U.S. Uh, or California. Uh, actually, initially thought it was Procter & Gamble, but it uh, <laughs> turns out to be uh, the energy and utility provider within California. Um, thought during their presentation, the project that they proposed was really interesting, more data engineering focused, um, sure. but it initially like, stood out. And you know, fortunately, went through the process of matching between companies and interviewing, and... Was fortunate enough to be accepted for pg e for the practicum position um, and so joined them in November and worked through until June um, and I you know mentioned that it was a data engineering position but it was sat within a dedicated machine learning and data science team within pg um, and I guess I can give you a little bit of background roughly around the the, the problem statement and what they were trying to work on so well um, just I guess the state of data science within pg I was personally quite surprised coming in you know being a regulated utility company yeah, right um, and having sort of worked with a lot of different industries and companies in my previous job I was expecting quite a low bar in terms of like <laughs> their adaptation to data science and their utility of it within the company um, but I was yeah I was really surprised in terms of how mature a team that they do have and how much of a commitment the company makes to making it quite a key part of its decision-making process and so the the team that I was sitting on was acting as kind of a almost building an augmentation tool to help some of their physical inspectors that go around and manually inspect electrical transmission and distribution towers and, and the components associated with that. So you can imagine you know, the scale of California and how many customers they serve, yeah. um, the amount of equipment that they have is, is massive. And so there's a real emphasis to try and improve the efficiency of that process and to make the lives of the inspectors a lot easier. And so that's kind of the approach of the team that I was sitting on. Um, and they were approaching it from a computer vision perspective. So, one of the tasks being uh, asset registration. So, you know, being able to look at a tower and catalog exactly what's on the tower and the state of those components as well. Oh. And so, they actually contract a drone company that goes around and takes, you know, however many millions of images they have on a regular basis of these towers, uh, and then inspectors inspect those images uh, to be able to sort of like catalog and detect uh, issues. And so, the idea was being can. This team utilized computer vision to be able to improve that process uh, and to make it more efficient by sort of highlighting, you know, potential transmission towers to inspect or uh, a number of different like tools. I guess just overall being an augmentation tool for these inspection teams.
2: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, like you know, make it less labor and human, like yeah. um, yeah. manual, you know, individual people going
1: to all of these places. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So.
0: Any sense of how successful that was?
1: So. At the moment, uh, well, the state of the team when I joined it was, it was, I guess, had just gone through, it's been established for a couple of years now, uh, and it's gone through a process of providing and proving business value in terms of the models that they have that have been more proof of concept, have shown to be accurate and provide value in that sort of system of inspection. And so when I joined, it was kind of moving more into how do we now take these uh, methodologies and sort of productionize them to be able to like incorporate into those processes and actually add that value yeah. that it's proven to have shown.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so you can imagine that data engineering at that point is like particularly important. Yeah. Right? Um, and I joined into the team as a data engineer and was primarily focused around the infrastructure of managing uh, labels associated with these images because you can imagine, yeah. particularly within computer vision, like quality of data is so important. Um, and they have a dedicated labeling team that builds these image data sets to be able to train these models. And the QC processes that they develop and sort of the, the methodology around how those data sets are created, you can imagine, like are pretty yeah. intensive and, and super important. Um, and so a lot of the, the data engineering that we did during the practicum um, was kind of building pipelines to help with that QC process to be able to just have an idea of exactly what uh, images that the labeling team have processed uh, quantifying how many labels they had, uh, helping with sort of like determining the quality of those labels as well. So there was a lot of different tasks, and it was kind of, I guess, working on lots of miscellaneous tasks that, to help the team achieve that goal. But yeah, we kind of worked on that over the, the course of the practicum, and yeah, achieved some pretty cool results.
2: Totally. How many? Uh, just out of curiosity, how many labels? How many observations do you need to make uh, such a, you know, a computer vision algorithm
1: actually functional? Turns out a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the days I mean, the labeling team, you know, that they have is working, you know, that's their primary job in terms of they focus on it continuously to build these data sets. And mm-hmm. it is tens of thousands of images that they have to go through. Mm-hmm. And I think an interesting process of that has been seeing how they have built out a QC process to be able to maintain that level of accuracy. Because yeah. when you are labeling such a large volume, you have to rely on that kind of taking a small sample to manually you know see the QC process for mm-hmm. that and, and extrapolating that so I think they've done a really good job in terms of like maintaining quality across those data sets and I think you can see the reflection of that in the model performance at the end of it so very mm-hmm. okay, cool
0: how did you go from the practicum to actually joining as a full-time employee are you even on the same team or are you on a different team
1: I am on the same team okay working with the same people doing the exact thing that I was okay. did the day before I left on my internship. So it's been a very seamless transition into working life, which has been a great. And yeah, I'm extremely happy to be back on the same team. I really enjoyed my time there. And particularly, the experience at PGE has actually been pr- incredible. And for a number of different reasons, I think. One, the, like, the team that I was working on and the atmosphere that they actually fostered was incredibly supportive and, I guess, relaxed, which was... Really nice. I think the the level of expertise that they have within the team has been really good in terms of like accelerating my skill set and being able to learn from really talented and experienced people, and the the quality of the sort of tasks that they're working on. You know, talking through the, the use case um, of the team that I'm on, like there's pretty advanced topics for you know the type of like company that and the type of uh, industry. So I really enjoyed my time, and I think when they you know, mentioned that there was the possibility of joining at the end like for me it was a very easy decision to join so nice that's awesome um, we well,
2: you, you said you had mentors who kind of were in all sorts of domains were they mostly data engineers to begin with or were they data scientists who became data engineers or um,
1: you know what what kind of skill sets did they possess? That helps you kind of <laughs> learn from them. <laughs> yeah, so I think like composition of the team, it's a fairly small team, um, which is nice. I think we're currently at about six to seven people continuously working on the project, mm-hmm. which honestly is quite nice in terms of the scale to be sort of be able to like collaborate and, and build, I guess, those like professional bonds, which is great. Um, they The majority of them are kind of like data scientists. There are a couple of people who are focused more on like Uh, MLOps Mm -hmm. and that kind of side of things and building out the sort of the web infrastructures to support this kind of application, but Yeah, in terms of like what their backgrounds are to be able to support me. I think that they are Expert enough in a number of different areas that like whatever question I have they have an answer to so I haven't reached a point Where they're like, I don't know that yet actually so which is really nice to be able to have that support network to lean on Um, Yeah
0: I can't yeah. remember if you mentioned this already, but how, how large is the actual data engineering team itself?
1: So I am actually, so my technical role is a data scientist. Um, okay. But going in with the with the premise of being a role that kind of forms a hybrid between being a data scientist and a data engineer, so kind of, I think why, I think the role that I was given is sat between that middle ground because it's quite good from someone who has a data science, data science background and is passionate in data engineering. To be able to have the context and understanding of like the application they're trying to achieve, and like there is such an overlap between the two fields that I think it's there. There are roles that sit between those two. Yeah. Um, in terms of the size, like the data science team as a whole within PG&E is about eighty people, uh, spread across different areas, and you know that's grown. I don't know what i have grown in the last twelve months, but it's a pretty rapid growth in terms of like how much the company is like embracing data science as a topic, and you can see different teams um, popping up in different sort of like, uh, areas within the company. And they're trying to the way that they're sort of like structuring it to sort of manage those teams. is pretty interesting.
2: Yeah. That is a pretty sizable um, group, especially, you know, I didn't have, you know, any clue about what, what the size of it would be in PG&E. So that's pretty big. Um, well maybe, yeah, maybe let's talk about this, right? So yeah, you are a data scientist by training and you have this interest in data engineering, but on the data science side, like when you're, um, thinking about these computer vision models. How are they doing it? Like what, what are the, um, what's the kind of anatomy of these models? Right. Uh, To me, it kind of sounds like two different problems, right? Identifying what's on these structures and then identifying the quality of it. Are they like conditional models where first you figure out what's on there and then you, um, figure out the quality or is it all in one?
0: I mean, can you speak generically, I guess, about like what Cody just said, is it sort of like this conditional type of model, like conditional on the fact that like detecting this, whatever piece of equipment, then what is the, I don't know, probability that its quality is something or other.
1: Yeah. So I think like the interesting position that it's in at the moment is almost the work that they've done up to this point has been proving a lot of different individual tasks and now they're at a point where they can stitch those together into productionized, like pipelines, right? So mm-hmm. number of different ones that they have, so one being almost like an object detection process of being able to you know, train a model to be able to pinpoint an area within an image that fits a specific task that the labelers have like constructed and the data set constructed. Um, and then you can imagine once you've done object detection, you can take that image crop and you can do like a classification task or like other downstream tasks on it. Um, and so they're at this point now of like, you know, you can construct these different pipelines and that service different uh, use cases. So totally. in terms well, of like the actual technology, um, I think their approach has been very much like output driven in terms of they have a goal that they're trying to achieve. And they are, I think, through their proof of value process has been very much like trying different architectures, different models um, to achieve that and kind of approaching it from more like we want to achieve this level of accuracy and and performance from a model, whatever that turns out to be through this process. Sure, yeah, yeah. kind of agnostic
2: to the architecture unless it's proven like it works, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, you know, that's a nice approach.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Now it sounds like um, you were lucky in that you found a a role where you actually get to do sort of um, both, you know, the data engineering and the data science. Um, Because I was gonna ask you like how you felt about getting a degree in data science, but then taking a role that's primarily data engineering. Um, Because a lot of data engineering roles, uh, you know, people, data engineers that I've worked with in the past were solely data engineers, and for the most part, didn't have a clue about machine learning or anything. Um, And your role does not sound like that. And so...
1: Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I think, like, it's kind of a question, I guess, of my kind of career and where I want to go, I think... I am in a position where I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want to do um, in terms of, you know, I've had time, you know, on model building sides in previous projects in my previous job. Um, I feel like I've had a good touch of and flavor of um, different the different areas that there are between those kind of like different fields. And I, I think I'm approaching it in terms of like just figuring out what I think I enjoy, pursuing that, seeing it and changing it if I need to. And I think that's one of the things I enjoy and have about the position that I'm at at the moment in terms of, the internal flexibility of the role is such that they are very perceptive to people's needs and what they want to do and very open to being like, hey, I want to try a little bit more on the modeling side or like, hey, like machine learning operations and that kind of productionization is like, sounds really interesting. Can I have a role in that? And they are completely open and and uh, receptive to that, which for me, I feel like is almost like gold dust at this point. So yeah. of my stage in my career trying to figure out. so. You know, the work that I'm doing now, I'm, I'm finding extremely interesting and I'm, was super happy to rejoin the team and continue the work. So, yeah, I think from here, it's just continuing that process of, of figuring out exactly what I want. Yeah. So I think like one thing I did discover during the master's program that was almost worth it in itself was kind of, um, I feel like data science is such a broad spectrum of, you know, one side almost like EDA, exploratory, like model building, and the other side touching into engineering and MLOps, like productionization, like models, things like that. I think the the course very much showed me that I lent more towards that productionization and I wasn't as focused or, or or keen on kind of just like the exploratory side of things. And that it was useful in itself to just build up the foundations and knowledge in that area, but also to know that actually, you know, I want to turn and focus my career on this. So. You know that process of going through it. I think really like solidified it, and I don't know if I'd have reached that point as fast if I hadn't have gone through that process. So.
2: Yeah, when you were saying you were working as a consultant before, what, um, which of those two ends of the spectrum were you mostly
1: working in? I uh, e- everything. Yeah. So the the pro, and I maybe sometimes the con of consultancy is you are where you go project to project, you right? Know, industry to industry, and the use case and the work changes very drastically. So over the three years, kind of worked on everything from Pretty much data analytics, um, all the way through to like training transformer models for like NLP applications, and and kind of everything in between. Um, so that was really good to get that experience, and I think like that kind of like pushed me to do the masters to be able to get the foundation, and then to almost narrow in even more on like my focus. But yeah, yeah, totally,
2: yeah. Because I'm like, for instance, right, my experience, I'm like, I don't like before this, right? Like I was a statistician. And then a practicing data scientist where I was doing, um, you know, more quantitative things. So it's like the the data engineering stuff, it's really kind of come on to the scene and become such a big thing really quickly. So it's nice that, you know, you're able to, I guess, in this this experience, like really adapt and be like, okay, well, this, this is a re- really good thing to learn right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think like, you know, having more exposure to the role itself, I think you kind of realize like how important it is and how much like other disciplines and areas lean on it, you know, without totally. like, you know, good quality data and easy access to it. Like you can't, Yeah, <laughs> you can't be do anything. Very sad. So, yeah. <laughs>
2: very sad statisticians out there with <laughs> poor quality data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good thing to learn right now. Uh, we just <laughs> added on this extra couple of months at the end of the data science master's program where you can stick around and get, um, you know, an added specialization, added training in data engineering. Right. So it's like, like we were talking about having to adapt to, What's needed in the workplace, right? That's and kudos to Diane for whipping that out in less than a year, right? right. Was, yeah, yeah, record time. It's yeah. Pretty, yeah, it's
1: pretty
0: fast. <laughs> yeah, and then so it got started this fall. It's the first um, first cohort is in there, and I mean that you know they're doing like stream processing, ML ops is part of it as well, um, and uh, data architecture. Mm-hmm. I, don't know. I wish I was more familiar with. Data. that. I'm not, I'm not teaching it, so I don't. Data lakehouse. Oh yeah, like all yeah, some warehousing of as well. I think is it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So all that all that's included. So since we're we're talking about this data engineering extension, um, and you happen to land in a data engineering role, I mean, were you uh, at the time you were here as a student that whole extension program was being put together, and you knew about it. So um, did it ever cross your mind that maybe it might be you know a useful uh, addition to your data science degree?
1: Yeah, I think for me, I was very close to actually doing the extension. I think the time that it got pulled together because it was fairly last minute in terms of when it was introduced as an option. Um, like myself and everyone else was kind of going through that job process already. Um, so I liked the syllabus that they provided. Um, I think for me, I was I was far enough down the job hunt line that I was fairly content to continue with that, even yeah. though it would have been good to learn these things. Um, I think, given you know, coming in again if I was like reapplying and joining again, I, I probably would. And I, I think, I don't know whether you are given the option to decide later on in the program or not, but I think for me, I enjoyed the course more and more as it went on because things became more technical. Yeah, like I think right. the first kind of like the first, maybe even the first half of the course is very much like building up that base, getting everyone on the same level and learning the fundamentals. And then, you know, you jump into spring and summer semesters and it's very much a case of like, deeply applying these things in like deep like thorough projects and i really enjoyed that part of it and i think like it sounded from the syllabus that they set up in the concentration that that was just gonna like keep going so i i was like i was super interested in it but i think i was far enough and i was safe enough choice of getting a job so i was like okay i'm good yeah yeah Um, totally and and you know you can always do it down the line
2: right (laughs) (laughs) alumni can come back and that's true you you could you could
0: even just take one one of the courses if you were interested in the stream stream processing one then you could do
1: that okay yep that's Mm -hmm. good to know
2: you were up in Washington, you're a, a climber, a mountaineer. Is uh,
1: right? right. <laughs> I hesitate to call myself a climber and mountaineer because I don't know if I'm good enough, but I really enjoy it. <laughs> um, it's kind of like my main hobby. Um, and yeah, I was lucky enough when I was given my job offer to have two months off from the end of the course to my start date, which I think is very rare. And I was very grateful that that was the case. It was a good time to decompress. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I went traveling able to uh, do some climbing here in the alps and then go up to washington state to do some as well so yeah a good respite from a pretty intense year but yeah totally. good fun what mountains did you climb in uh washington um it was kind of a mountaineering course that i did so oh. there was kind of building up um skills for like trad climbing and things that went up about halfway up mount baker it was a little bit too <laughs> too icy they said to keep going but, sure uh, sure but yeah, it was, uh, it was just a really good sort of like building up the skills and the, yeah. the safety aspect of uh, truck climbing, which I did not realize is very dangerous. Yeah, very important. Yeah. <laughs> very dangerous. That's awesome.
0: Your, your practicum transitioning into a full-time role at pg and every student right now who's listening to this is going to want to know how. How do they do the same thing? Um, was this just a case of kind of being, you know, in the right place at the right time?
1: Yeah, so I think it's going to come down to a couple things. I think one obviously is going to be whether the company can hire, you, like whether there is headcount, whether there is even like funding to be able to like onboard someone new into the team. So that's going to be a very clear barrier of like, is this yes, is this no? And I think from other people who were on other practicums, it was almost like made pretty obvious, like pretty pretty soon, or at least when they when the students started making references of like, you know, oh, I'm starting my job hunt or whatever, like. It was almost quite like a subtle suggestion that maybe this isn't an option right now uh to be able to be hired so i think that's like a very clear limiting factor um in terms of like you know if they haven't said anything and it appears like maybe that is the case i think i always approached it of like you prove your value yeah. and you're there for long enough that mm-hmm. if they feel by the end of nine months they'll have a good idea of your skill and if you've worked hard and proved yourself like you put yourself in a great position for them to be like yeah, this guy's, you know, a useful team member, and I think, like, it'd be great to hire them. So I feel like I was fortunate enough to be able to join. I think, like, the the fact that I had highlighted that I was interested in more of the data engineering side, like, they had a clear need of, like, we are going into a productionization phase, so this okay. is going to be really important for us. So that matched up quite naturally. So that's, I think, one of the reasons why I was able to join. And, you know, I think myself and my partner, like, we did a great job over our practicum, so, you know, they were very... I think pleased with the work we did, which was good to see. But if I was to give any advice to the people who are currently on practicums, just, you know, go into it that you have a very long time to prove your value. And, like, you know, I think historically on the course, like, a lot of people do get hired from practicums, so. Right.
2: And and exactly what you're saying, that awareness of, like, what their needs were and, like, try to align yourself with the interest, right? In your case, it, it, it was. Yeah, right? so yeah.
1: Perfect. I mean, you know, you can be proactive in terms of, like, <laughs> You know what do you need? Oh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> luckily, I didn't do that, and it was just happened to be so. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm.
0: So now you've been here in, in the Bay Area for a little over a year. You live in the city. Yes. Yep. Further down the road, you think you want to hang out in California longer, or are you missing um, England or Wales? <laughs> I guess.
1: Yeah, I think for me, you know, I've 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 come all this way. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think for definitely, you know, the medium medium to long term for sure, like. In terms of the investment made to come and do this, I think, you know, going home economically doesn't make sense. And yeah, also right. I'm really enjoying my time here. Um, you know, I enjoy, I think, the prospect that I, my career has here, uh, the people, the place. Like, I'm really enjoying it at the moment pretty much. So I would not would say that that's maybe like a two-sided card. And I think like a lot of people, you know, because it's a course with a lot of international students that go through the same thing. And right. I think, you know, prospective people thinking about like moving to the States, like it is a big deal and Mm -hmm. you know you do sacrifice a lot yeah moving the other side of the world you know not be able to see family like you know I missed I missed one of my cousin's weddings during the course so you know there are sacrifices and it's pretty tough you know it's a game of like weighing it up and and you know deciding what is ultimately best so yeah for me I think like San Francisco is great totally well I mean I guess it's also an, an interesting thing
2: because there are certain cultural similarities between the US and the UK that maybe other international students do not have. But, um, right. you know, did you find any weird culture shock moments or any like, okay, what is happening in these Americans? Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I mean, the UK, US probably is like co- the most culturally similar, like mm-hmm. in terms of the other international students that have come to the US. Like I think it would have had a lot more of a intense, like intense cultural difference going to, even, like, another European country, probably. So, yeah, in terms of the difference, like, you know, people made fun of my accent. Uh, <laughs> oh. oh, made fun of, really? Yeah, yeah no, may, may pointed out. I think, you know, <laughs> classic things. Uh, totally. Still trying to figure out what an eggplant is, but... <laughs> oh. <laughs> things like that. Yes. You know, it's, 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 it's kind of crazy how pervasive U.S. culture is. Yeah. Particularly in the U.K., you know, it's almost like, they're almost one at this point. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, is there anything
0: you missed, though, from... The UK that you actually don't find often here?
1: Honestly, beyond food, beyond food, not really. Like, there's, and even food, like, this, not that much. Like, the US food is pretty, it's pretty nice, honestly. You know, small snacks, things like that. Totally. Yeah. Pubs? Ah, oh, pubs, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Pub culture is the only, the only thing missing from the US, I think.
0: <laughs> Have you found one here in the Bay Area that's wor- is, worth going to? I've
1: tried to like quantify it to people. Pub culture is is like it's hard to like put into words <laughs> almost it's like a it's like a societal mindset like it's oh, just okay. a place to relax like it's family friendly like you can't go to a bar here and feel the same thing and it's kind of a bit weird if you try to so yeah <laughs> right right yeah yeah <laughs> that's maybe the only thing isn't it more of like a neighborhood thing there it is yeah you know like i have a i come from rural wales uh you know extremely small village with like 15 20 houses but it's wow. got a pub yeah. and it yeah. has a post office and everyone goes there. You know, it's how you kind of socialize. You have a, a drink and some food and relax. So it's a, it plays a really kind of weirdly important part in people's lives. So
0: how about the, um, football culture here versus the UK?
1: <laughs> Honestly, I was expecting there to be no one, but there are some incredibly dedicated fans out here. Actually they have, uh, I spoke quite a prominent like football team in the UK. I support Liverpool. Um, and, Every city I've been to, they have a dedicated bar and a dedicated support team, and people will get up at 4.30 in the morning to go watch it. I'm like, these people are more dedicated than I am to watching <laughs> football. Like, yeah. I, I've been a handful of times, but like these people go every, every weekend. So yeah, I'm glad to, that that is still available, but I'm not dedicated to get up that early. Yeah. <laughs> God, they are. <laughs> yeah,
0: well, that sounds familiar actually. Um, from uh Ted Lasso, you know, that, that show, <laughs> and I, I don't remember the name of his team, but he's there coaching a team, and they have that pub where all of the people go. Yeah, you know, all the main supporters they just go there oh, every yeah. day, and yep, oh,
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been funny to see. Uh, if anyone's watched the Welcome to Wrexham, the Ryan Reynolds uh documentary, created, mm-hmm. yeah, he bought a Welsh football team. <laughs> that is like 10 minutes from my house. And I was in oh. LA the other day, and I saw a bus with an advertised, and I was like, people don't realize how small this town is. And it's being advertised on Hollywood Boulevard. And I was like, this is really weird. Yeah, that this is, is uh... crazy. <laughs> Super strange.
0: Well, should I visit your town if I'm in No, Wales? absolutely. No, okay. <laughs> <family>. <laughs>
2: what, what is it called?
1: Uh, it's Llambechain uh, is the name. Oh. Uh, it, there's some crazy place names in Wales. What, what did you just call me? <laughs> Yeah, sorry, Cody. No. <laughs> yeah, they have uh, the long uh, the second longest place name in the world in oh, yeah, in, yeah. in Wales. Yeah. The they light. they extended the railway platform because it wasn't long enough to fit the sign. So
2: yeah. <laughs> like something on the hill and Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Know.
1: Something on the hill. It's like same down by Saint Mary's well on the hill. Like it's it's a whole story <laughs> it's just a poem, name, yeah. So,
0: yeah. Well, what is like the main attraction in Wales?
1: Outdoors, it's like a big area, not many people, a lot of sheep. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's like four sheep per person. So Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's like, an interesting. Maybe I'll skip it. <laughs> <laughs> <Statistic>. North, <laughs> North Wales, very nice. Um, yeah, I think New Zealand's like second, it's got like 15 sheep yeah. per person. So <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. not too far behind it.
0: If I go to if I go to the UK or if I go to Great Britain, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Which my daughter really wants to go. She wants to go to London, of course. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, I've been to London uh, once, and yeah, I thought it was great. Um, But outside of there, like, what's your favorite place?
1: Yeah, I've had like four or five people ask me this in the last year, so I have an answer. I'd say like London definitely. It's it's almost a one city country in a way. Like, there's a lot of like don't get me wrong, the other cities are great, but in terms of like size, culture, and things to do, like London's obvious the obvious choice uh maybe the second one to that edinburgh is really nice yeah i've been there um yeah yeah i've only been once which feels like a waste but uh yeah i would say edinburgh definitely uh nature-wise like scotland just wins uh if the weather's good so yeah the highlands great north wales have to put it in there okay um but yeah everyone should go
0: sounds good yeah
2: no i'm sold
1: put on the list. i will (laughs)
2: When you were kind of adjusting to SF, Bay Area Living, how did you balance your time? What did you do outside of work, school to make it feel like, okay, this is, you're actually having a full life here and not just, you know, engrossed in the program?
1: Yeah. I mean, the realization that it was going to be an extremely intense year started pretty much from day one. You know, we were sat in the welcome meet at the very first day and we had alumni come in and did a really good job of like scaremongering and being like, get ready. (laughs) This is going to be, you know, a really intense year and... You know, I think, you know, they were right, ultimately. Um, I remember, I can't remember what the alumni's name was, but she mentioned that she made it very clear to carve out time to at least, like, an hour a day to do something other than work to be able to sort of, like, maintain that balance. Like, for her, I think it was going to the gym. Uh, For me, ultimately, it was, like, going climbing. Uh, So there's a lot of, like, rock climbing gyms in uh, San Francisco and that's actually actually how I picked where I wanted to live so yeah I just put a pin in all the locations the climbing gym I was like okay I'll live here this is great uh worked out okay uh I live in the mission now which is really nice um but for me that was like really important uh to carve out that time you know the workload is so intense that you do work all day you go home you relax and then you probably have to work a little bit and you're, you know doing things on the weekend as well to catch up and if you don't make effort to like Find that balance and actually relax and decompress. It can be intense, but I think everyone settled into a rhythm, particularly after boot camp, because I think, like, boot camp, for me anyway, that was the biggest testing ground. Like, yeah. I think if you can get through boot camp unscathed, which the vast majority of people do, because I think they do a good job of like, they don't let anyone in who isn't capable to right. do it, right?
0: Yeah, we're not one of those programs that tries, you know, that weeds students out when they get here. Right. No. You know? That's yeah.
2: especially removing across the world. It's like, yes.
0: yeah, go yeah. back. Like, oh,
1: geez. Yeah. Like it was, it was uh, like the interview process to actually join was uh, like super thorough. And I was like a little surprised, especially like the level of I Remember, like reviewing the linear algebra that I've been told, like, Oh, that'd be kind of useful. And I was like, this is pretty like, yeah. the questions were pretty solid. And I was like, Oh, okay. They're doing a good job of like, you know, not going to let you in unless you can do it. It doesn't mean that you don't have to work. Like crazy during boot camp, that that nine weeks was crazy. Especially Jeff's stats class was uh, <laughs> right. My God, <laughs> yeah. They also said that on first day, like if you can survive Jeff's boot camp, I think you're you're golden. So <laughs> yeah, I think with boot camp, like it was really intense. It did a good job of like building everyone up to the same base, but you know, like I said, like if you can't get through it, you know, you were very much set up for the rest of the course, and like the workload. I wouldn't say it, like dropped off afterwards, but kind of like maintained it didn't get harder and, and definitely had more breathing room um, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, they did a good job of like showing you what it was going to be like, and you adapted to it pretty quick. Nice.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. Well, thanks Matt. Um, thanks for, thanks for coming down back to the office um, after a couple months away. Hope it wasn't too <laughs> traumatic for you. Um, yeah. Good yeah. to see you. Yeah. yeah it was yeah, really nice. Really it.
1: good to catch no. up. It was good to be back.
0: Yeah. I hope we get to see you again in featured future and, be really curious to see where your career lead to.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It'd be great to come back.
0: Don't be a stranger. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs>